With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics podcast in association with 23. This is the show that combines our love of football and very average Sunday league playing experiences with our knowledge of football statistics and data analytics. We've made it to episode 16 and we're here to get you through the lockdown blues this week. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me from the comfort of his spare room in Nottingham over Zoom, it's Mark Carey. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'd I'd love to be in the same room, but we don't, yeah, I know. we don't have an option, do we? It's not the thing at the moment, is it? It's not, it's not the done thing in this country. No. No. Um, no, I'm good though, thank you, mate. Been uh, been a busy week, but all good. How are you doing? I'm good. I, this week, have managed to watch more football than I had last week, you'll be pleased to know. Ah, you did your homework. I did. Well, I did my homework. I know what's going on. Um, I was aware that football has been played this week. So, yeah, I, I actually can be useful this week. Um, still reeling after the... Uh, how do you describe the Denver Bar goal that sort of went viral and was across <laughs> everybody's screens on uh, on Wednesday night? How, how would you describe it? I, I still well, haven't found a word. It's funny, actually, is that I saw a tweet which described it perfectly in that it said, Denver Bar is the first person to score an 89th minute goal in the 13th <laughs> minute. Because, because it genuinely looked like United were chasing the game. Yeah. And he was just left all on his own as though it was just... Last like stoppage time, last minute of the game, and and he's not very fast, is he? I mean, he's like mid thirties now. Denver Bar. He, I didn't but, even know uh, Denver Bar was still playing football until this sort of popped yeah, up. Yeah, I forgot he was still alive. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he still his name still haunts me a little bit. Oh, of course, because of obviously him running through on goal. It, he did the very same thing to to Liverpool. Obviously, running through on goal. Um, did it give Chelsea you game. any iota of satisfaction? to see him running through on goal um, against Manchester United at all? Uh, arguably, yes. But like, what was at stake was a, a group game in the Champions League versus what was us going for the title in terms of Liverpool-Chelsea. I guess a little bit, anything that 
can help Man United. Nothing's ever going to heal that wound, is it? That's the thing. No, but anyway, yeah, no, it was a very strange, strange goal. Um, weird game. United are in a bit of trouble at the moment. I know we spoke about them last week in terms of their the shot in, in the Premier League. Their the quality of the shots that they're taking a, a second bottom, aren't they? Only to to Fulham. So yeah. uh, this seems to be kind of an ongoing problem. It's not just a bad run of form. I'd say I think they've they've got problems that need sorting out. I think the thing is, it was just inexplicable, wasn't it? By everybody watching it, like Oli Solskjaer was like. Yeah, that shouldn't be happening, and of course it shouldn't. It was it was worse than, as you say, the 89th minute on a Sunday league game in the middle of Worcestershire, where we're both from. You know, you just wouldn't see anything of the sort, would you? No, I think it was just naive play, really, and that's that's what they've you know they've said that it just lacks leadership. Like there doesn't seem to be anyone who's going to take them take the team by the scruff of the neck and say, "You sit back, you stay there." You go forward, you know, whatever it might be. Everyone's just looking around for someone else to to take the lead, and no one is. And that's how you get situations like that, where just there's no organisation or there's no organiser who's going to be the one to 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 do it. And I don't think Maguire is that personally. No, um, I don't know if it's just that he's also in a bad run of form and he's obviously low on confidence after everything that's happened. But something more systemic, I think, needs to change. I know this isn't new information for anyone, but uh, I think yeah, they're in they're in a bit of trouble. But I mean, you can be as analytical as you want, and or as you know, football oriented as you want, as the two sides of what we always sort of try and balance on this podcast. But at the end of the day, there's only so much that a you know data driven department or the best coaches, you know, within a team can do, isn't there? If 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 you know, as Paul Scholes put it, if ten year old football is occurring on the pitch and something like that occurs, who who? Who can you blame, really, apart from just the players on the field to be like, just pick up the man, someone stay back. True, and I mean that's what the gold standard of like analytics and recruitment would be is if you can, you know, get a tangible idea of leadership mm. and of like captaincy and of resilience and of grit and determination. But you can't do that. You can do that a bit from video analysis of just seeing, you know, someone's effort, and you can get a bit of a, a judgment on it. And I know that football clubs are big on understanding the character of a player but it just seems that it's those sorts of intangibles that United don't really have which they yeah. had of, of years gone by obviously um, but they just I just think they're lacking leadership lacking all sorts I guess there's no tangible uh, analytics way of measuring common sense either is there <laughs> not, that, not that I know of not XCS that I know of per game no Per ninety, yeah. No, I don't know. Do you know what? This is the longest I've probably spoken about Man United voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? We should fix that problem then, because I feel like you're about to have heart palpitations. So, uh, <laughs> should we get on with the pod? Let's crack on. Right then, listeners, we fired quite a few numbers at you last week, uh, but we're going to go in a slightly different direction on this episode. Mark, what did you want to chat about? Yeah, we did. We did pepper quite a few numbers in, in last week, so I wanted to kind of take a bit of a right-hand turn and it was it was from last week's episode that it kind of got me thinking uh a little bit more about when we we're talking about that lack of the lack of crowd and why there were so so many crazy score lines and we spoke about the again sort of intangibles of it may be that when there is a full crowd that a player might have might be full of adrenaline or full of testosterone during during the game and that might be part of their their concentration levels that might be an influencing factor on the game it got me thinking a little a little bit more about my psychology background that's what I was trained in yeah um and looking at it from a psychological perspective of what might be going on within that and I know that there's been a lot you know 
after Project Restart looking at the influence of the lack of crowd in terms of the home advantage going away. And we can talk about that as well. But yep. I kind of wanted to look at it from a bit more of a psychological perspective. Um, and it was after I read an article actually uh, on The Athletic and it was about Liverpool's sports psychologist who's been mm-hmm. really useful last season in in helping them to, to obviously win the title. And um, he's called Lee Richardson. And he was saying about you know the mental health of the, the staff and of the players, but also looking at that performance side of things, the performance analysis and how things have changed obviously now with the lack of crowd. So I kind of want to talk initially about how that, home advantage might have gone away and that lack of crowd might be influenced by psychological factors more so than actual stats stuff absolutely and i guess at the moment with uh, what was announced uh, this week just gone there's no danger of uh, crowds been allowed in anytime soon is there very sadly for uh, for everyone involved in football so yeah i guess for this is the for now the new normal isn't it that we're going to be experiencing whatever we're sort of going to uncover today is it's not going to change for some time no, yeah, it's true. It's actually come at quite a good time to, to be talking about this. And as I say, I know this topic sort of was did come about after Project Restart, but uh, maybe not from the same perspective that I think we're going to look at it, just in terms of what exactly might be going on. Love it. So shall I tell you just a couple of the psychological theories, psychological ideas that uh, may be influencing this uh, this weird performance, I guess, but maybe a, a potential lack of lack of intensity and a bit more of a different output this season then please do i feel like when i was in psychology a level i did as level and i uh, was probably thinking about football for most of the time of that because <laughs> i got an e so go easy on me but i feel like if it's got a football context i might be all right well it's the thing is it's quite a simple effect it's nothing too too complex and it is quite um it's kind of like a level psychology in terms of what this social psychology phenomenon is but it's essentially called the social facilitation effect so okay what it is is that Typically, what people have found is that people's performance level is increased and their effort is increased as a result of real, imagined or implied presence of others. Okay. So the fact that the, the when there's people around you, you're more likely to essentially try harder and your performance is more likely to be better than if you were doing it alone. Okay. Now, during these games that are obviously currently going on, there's still people who are watching them, obviously. There's mm-hmm. the substitutes, there's the managers, there's still stewards and stuff. But compare that to a full crowd and a full stadium then yeah it's it's incomparable but this is a phenomenon that was that's gone back like into the 19th century so this isn't anything that's new that we are being really innovative in but one of the forms of this social facilitation effect is what's called audience effect so this is a specific type of social facilitation where yeah an individual's performance is influenced by the presence of others so an audience and that means that leads to their dominant response to occur. So essentially, if I were to say to you, if you were to do something that you weren't too confident in, yeah, and there was an audience there, then you're more likely to to do worse in it. But if it's something that you're quite skilled at, i.e. professional footballers, mm-hmm. if they're doing something they're quite skilled at, then the effect of, a, of an audience and having a crowd actually boosts their performance. I see. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because it's like when... You know, when you're in a crowd, something you don't get from watching football from home, I always find, is when a hard challenge goes in or even when someone sort of runs 30 yards to meet a ball and clear it and, you know, puts in a sort of 
puts in the effort that you don't see just from watching it on TV. That the reaction within that sort of g's everybody up, doesn't it? And it sort of um, that they're kind of effects you don't see when you're watching from the comfort of your own sofa. And I imagine for players that really kind of has an effect if that's kind of what you mean yeah yeah and they'll probably ride off i mean when they score as well that buzz that they get as well but even as you say like a challenge they'll ride the wave of that kind of increased arousal to use the psychological term the, the arousal of just that maybe adrenaline buzz mm. of just being like yeah oh, everyone's just cheered for even if it's like putting putting it out for a corner or something yes yeah. the english game seems to really love just <laughs> if you put it out for a corner which we've got different standards is, haven't we <laughs> yeah i don't think that's the case in european football but but it, it no, it definitely is that. So yeah, the general sort of audience effect is to, for, for when there is a dominant response and something that people are skilled at, is to raise that arousal level of the individual, and it actually improves their performance. So the point being, the fact that we're taking away that audience, that that crowd in stadiums at the moment, they're less likely to have that boost or increase in their performance levels because the crowd's not there. Absolutely, and I guess then that also has the same effect, but as a negative effect that when someone makes a mistake is there kind of a reversal in that theory that it kind of puts more pressure on because of the jeering and the sort of um, negative reaction someone might get to a mistake or what might be deemed as like a you know weakness in someone's game Uh, can that play on the mind as well and, and do the reverse effect I guess so I mean I don't know too much about that specifically but I think that kind of links in with the home advantage thing where the crowd's going to be more forgiving of you if you make a mistake actually no that's probably the opposite won't it that you you might well depends on the form of the the player sometimes if you're towards the bottom of the league then you're going to be far more risk averse and you're going to be scared to make a mistake from your home crowd and often they say that they prefer to be away from home where there's less pressure but Typically speaking, I think there's there's definitely a home advantage where it's your own supporters who are going to support you by definition, um, you know, wh- whatever you do. So in terms of sort of being worried about making mistake, that kind of might seep into the home advantage bit, which I've got a bit of information on as well, if, uh, if you don't mind me sharing. No, 100%. I guess... Yeah, I guess it almost... Does it level the... It levels the playing field a bit then because the for the away team who may be kind of... Uh, scared about that fortress that they're about to enter it what it sort of takes away from the home advantage it it adds to the it does I think you're right it it completely levels the playing field and I think there's essentially what I'm going to come on to is some some numbers and some well actually not some numbers necessarily but some evidence to exactly support that in that home advantage going away um, when there's when there's not a crowd excellent there's a couple of things i want to speak about so one of them is actually something that i did allude to specifically in last week's episode which was about i think i said adrenaline levels that you know if you if you got the home crowd behind you then your adrenaline levels are likely to be higher and i went and did some research and actually found that with regard to testosterone levels that is actually true so within with regard to home advantage there was a study that was done that showed that the salivary testosterone levels of football players was significantly higher before a home game than an away game. No way. And what I think is also really interesting is that in this same study, they said that the perceived rivalry of the opposing team was as important in terms of the testosterone levels. So the testosterone levels were even higher before they were playing what you'd determined to be an extreme rival than if they were just kind of a a non-team or you know they weren't interested in them so the testosterone levels as you would expect but it's actually backed up by research went another level up when you've got that 
that rivalry in terms of home advantage? When in May we started talking about starting this podcast, I never thought we'd be talking about saliva levels. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's really in-depth. You've outdone yourself. Thank you. I mean, I didn't think we were doing this either, but here we are. <laughs> but don't you think that is quite interesting? Yeah, well, million percent. So who was te- can you reveal your source? Who was testing that? Yes, yeah, so this was a paper that was published. Um, it's going back a, a few years now. I think it was 2002, 2003. Um, but it was, a, it was in a physiology uh, paper um, from Northumbria University. Yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, as I say, so that's, that's mean testosterone levels in home advantage. But that's not necessarily including the crowd there. I know obviously we're speaking about the crowd in that regard. Yeah, because I was going to say they, they were going to, you know, that would still be the case right now, wouldn't it? When, you know, the Merseyside derby, for instance, crowd or no crowd, that still occurs. Exactly, yeah. But then, so this is why I thought I'd supplement it with um, uh, an article which I found from Barca Innovation Hub, which we've spoken about before on the pod. Um, And we can include this link uh, in the bio, but they also said that there's evidence to show that supporters cheering increases testosterone and cortisol levels, and cortisol levels being a stress hormone, which is kind of transient um, yeah. but but if you have chronically too much high cortisol cortisol levels then it could be quite damaging to your physical and mental health sorry i'm going to psychology on you i'm just quite passionate about I've that heard as well. so many words that i didn't know what they meant then but it sounds really good sorry i'm very aware that i'm just getting a bit too excited <laughs> here but essentially as i say supporters cheering increases hormones yep and hormone levels in, in male football as this is in terms of the research that was done yeah in those in those supporters being um the home supporters compared to their rivals mm-hmm. and this effect was the same whether it was a an official match or a friendly match is what essentially was found so there is evidence to kind of put the two together i guess in terms of that high testosterone levels in terms of being at home compared mm-hmm. to away and then also having the supporters the the louder the cheers almost especially when it's your own fans when you've got the, the comfort of being at home then your testosterone levels are increased as well. So there's multiple factors which kind of determine this this boost in actual physiological response, which look to be actually reduced now. I mean, I, you know, we haven't got the numbers on it, but it looks that that looks to be that that intensity is reduced from the effect of not having a crowd recently. Absolutely, I'd be interested to know how the levels rise when <laughs> when a player has a song sung about them. Do you know what I mean? Like. He's one of our own. Do you think that makes Harry Kane's saliva just like go mad? <laughs> the Deli Alley one I love. Which one's that? I'm not, I'm not going to sing it. Sing I, I it. Set myself, no, I set myself up for that. I'm not going to sing it. I'm sure the listeners already know that one, but um, I'm a big fan of Deli, <laughs> Deli Alley one anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, so on that note of uh, of the yeah this Barca Innovation Hub article, they were talking about... Um, playing with and without an audience and they found a a review a recent review that analyzed 191 games that have been played without a crowd since going back to world war ii in in terms of looking at european football right okay so basically they looked yeah across all of european football 191 games with out without an audience and typically if it what they've said is that if it's usual that 46% of the games are to be won by the home team, when there wasn't a, a crowd, that dropped down to 36%. So there was a 10% drop when there wasn't an audience in terms of that home advantage. Right. So it looks to be a consistent pattern that that home advantage does go away. Similarly, 
when there's the away team, typically away teams usually win at a rate of about 26%. Okay. When there is a crowd. But then when there wasn't a crowd, that away disadvantage, I guess, went away. So that then they, they were winning games at a rate of 34%. Right, so there was okay. more of a an advantage, I guess, for uh, for the away teams then. And similarly, again, there was... Um, that playing games behind closed doors or without a, without an audience uh, significantly reduced the number of yellow cards that the visitors received, and the referee showed an average of a 0.5 fewer yellow cards per game. And you can't have 0.5 fewer, get for yeah, fewer yeah. yellow cards, but you. you know what I mean. So I just think that's interesting that there's the, the it goes the home advantage reduces, and the teams who play away are more likely to to actually win a game. So that kind of goes into why there might be bit more discrepancies in what you typically find love it i guess that means that players just aren't like showing off as much basically isn't it or like getting as brave uh, i guess that makes things easier for the referees a bit at least yeah well exactly that and it well there's that the yellow card bit but they, they said that there was kind of two key factors that explain this this difference that i just mentioned and one of them was obviously the effect of the audience and the effect of the crowd on the player's behavior but the other one was that that difference in the referee's bias and they said that the, there's research that's shown that fan noise and chanting can cause up to a 15% increase in the referee making a, a wrong decision. I can totally believe that. Now, I know that obviously VAR has tried to reduce that and they're still having a shocker every now and again. But yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, in, in sort of years gone by, that is, yeah, that crowd noise, it does get on top of a, a referee and it's it's bound to affect them in some regards. So it's almost like they're getting a bit of a an easier ride when there's no crowd which i guess makes sense but again there's research to back it up um and so yeah this this bias disappears and apparently it's also been demonstrated that added injury time or added time um is longer than it should be from the referee when the team that is playing at home is losing by one goal compared to when oh it's God. winning so there's this sort of implicit bias from the referee to just kind of add on a little bit more. It's like conspiracy theories. It's Mark. weird. This is uncovering so much. Basically, maybe we need to stick. A, we might need to stick an audience in the uh, in the VAR room at Stockley Park <laughs> just to see if that has an effect. So they need all the help they can get, yeah. don't they? When they're like when they're putting like the millimeter lines, they're like, oh, get off, ref! No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was that was my little uh, factoid for the day. Love it. Okay, Mike, you did a cracking job there, not throwing numbers at us. But come on, I can see you're itching. Let's let's have a look at some numbers. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be the pod unless I threw some numbers in with it. <laughs> Hard, cold facts. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, but no, I think this is uh, this is relevant. So it's, I, I just thought it'd be good to look at kind of that absence of a home advantage in what's going on in the Premier League so far this season. Um, and to do that, we've dug into uh, the numbers using the Football Lab uh, at 23. Oh, yes. I don't know if you remember, Ryan, but we're in association with 23. Oh, so. Remind me one more time. Yeah, it doesn't get old here, no. does it? Well, yeah, wrap your ears around this. So I've basically been using uh, yeah, the, the Football Lab. And obviously one that's that stood out in terms of the, the, a team who's not too dominant at home so far this season, but doing really well away from home is Leicester City. Right. So they've won all of their games away from home but only won uh, their most recent game against Burnley is their only win uh, at home this season. I just thought we would maybe dig into some numbers as, as to why that might be. Yes, please do. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Leicester are a, a team who play with a lot of 
pace, very fast um, transition from from front to back. Anyway, so um, it, I guess it plays into their style of play to to maybe catch teams who might be playing at home, kind of on the break and and make the most of you know the pace of the likes of Harvey Barnes and uh, and Jamie Vardy as well. And they did that to to great success so far this season in winning all their games. But they've scored uh, thirteen goals uh, away from home. Um, but from an expected goals of um, only 4.92. So okay. I think we alluded to it last week in terms of the the goal conversion rate being very high. I think it was 25%, wasn't it? That yeah, yeah. they seem to be kind of heavily overperforming in terms of the amount of goals they're scoring compared to what they're expected to. So maybe that away advantage that they seem to be having at the moment might not might not be sustainable, who knows? But they are still... Yeah, weirdly they are they do have a higher expected goals away from home um than yeah than than playing at home. They have two point seven six expected goals so far when playing at home. But of course they've played I think one game less at home yeah. as well. So but kind of nevertheless the on a per ninety per match basis that um that XG is 0.92 compared to one point two three away from home. So they do still have a, a lower expected goals. Um score at home compared to away which i thought was interesting yeah um but again it looks to looks to be very um unsustainable to be scoring that many away from home they've they've only scored four goals at home so it's actually kind of more in line closer to what you'd be expecting but they uh they're heavily overperforming uh, away from home so i just thought i'd kind of look at that kind of discrepancy there and i guess sometimes that just happens without rhyme or reason doesn't it you know whether it's a home or away advantage, I guess sometimes teams goes on these sort of runs, don't they, away or at home. Um, but it kind of, I imagine, evens itself out in the long run. Yeah, exactly right. And we're talking about, as, I, as I've mentioned before, and is typically the case in analytics, we're talking about very small sample sizes. You know, we're talking about a few games in. But I just thought at the moment that that lack of home advantage that we would typically see and the fact that that's gone away at the moment in, in quite a few teams, as we've been speaking about in this episode and the last, that... Leicester are kind of the at the moment the the key example of just that home advantage kind of going away and and definitely having an away advantage absolutely now another one I would like to speak about is Tottenham go for it now Tottenham have also won the each of the three games they played uh, away from home Mm -hmm. they've scored six goals at home 12 goals away Um, I think it was it five they scored away at Southampton as well as well as those six uh, at Man United so heavily skewed into kind of two games they've scored 11 goals there just in two games loving being away um, from home yeah exactly that and that's kind of shown in their expected goals as well so uh, on a per match basis because there's a different number of games that they've played home and away on a per match basis they're expected to score 1.91 away from home uh, and only 1.46 at home so again they seem to be um, skewed towards having bit more of a success on the road than than at home which i know we spoke about again last week in terms of again the pace that that son has or the the directness that son has and of course mora mm. um and kane dropping in and playing those balls and stuff that might lend itself more to to playing uh, away from home but they seem to be at the moment again again at least having uh, more success away from home than, than at home do you reckon this obviously isn't an analytics question do you think some teams are quietly enjoying not having the crowds at all? Or do you, do you think some teams are sort of okay with it and then others are sort of itching to get it back? Do you, you know, does it affect some teams more than others, do you reckon? Yeah, I think I, I'd say so. I mean, there's certain, like, historically, there's certain 
clubs where they they heavily rely on the the home supporters i mean like likes of like stoke city i think the likes of burnley crystal palace typically i think they they i think teams teams especially promoted teams and teams towards the bottom they need their their home form to to carry them through to at least survive and i think the crowd plays a bigger part in that for those sorts of teams i think at the upper in the upper echelons of the the premier league at least and this would probably be the case for a lot of worldwide football is going to say european football but the cream always comes to the top a little bit if you're a top quality footballer you're going to be comfortable no matter what whether there's a crowd or not so i'd say it's kind of more important or or teams probably miss it more for those who are lower down the league for the for the crowd to give them a bit more of a boost although weirdly didn't didn't aston villa like start performing way better after project restart and then at the start of this season I, I remember yeah. reading that actually, you know, I agree with what you just said, but they were kind of like a weird anomaly within that, that they actually were performing quite well without the crowd. It was quite odd. True. I mean, yeah. I, we're just There's obviously exceptions to the rule, isn't there? But, you know. Yeah. I mean, this is opinion based at the moment. I think, yeah, in general, those teams that I meant listed before probably do benefit from the, the home crowd. But I think, as I mentioned at the top of the show, that if it's not going well for you, and then the crowd gets on your back a little bit mm. because you're losing consistently. Then you start to play the safe pass. Then you start to do more risk-averse things. And then, yeah, when the crowd weren't there for Villa, they started to, I guess, express themselves mm. a little bit more, obviously tighten the defence up. That It can be either very positive or very negative for certain clubs, I think, maybe towards the bottom of the league. But it's pretty consistently, whether the crowd's there or not, the, the top clubs aren't too, aren't as affected, I'd maybe say. But... That's that's purely speculative. Lovely stuff. Are there any more numbers you'd love to share with us? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, using this content toolbox means that I, I keep wanting to play around with different things. That's what um, it's for. So, Well, exactly right, yeah. So I, I, I started to look at uh, the flank attacks, Ooh. which which is a, a visualisation and by definition doesn't lend itself to a podcast, which <laughs> is purely auditory. But I'm going to try nevertheless, and I think it would be good if we... Uh, if we maybe posted these uh, on social after after the episode's out, Ryan, if Absolutely. that's okay. So essentially what it is, is that you'll get three arrows across the... So on the left flank, the centre of the pitch, or on the right flank. So three arrows kind of going forward, Yeah. Um, but, there's, but they're split into thirds, essentially. And what it does is signify how much a team has attacked within those, uh, those left, centre, or right thirds um going to the pitch gotcha. it, the the length of the arrow denotes how much they've been using those uh, those flanks but they've also added in a really nice neat thing as well which is the sort of the brightness of the arrows themselves which which signifies the danger of those attacks so how much they actually have uh, success down either the left right or center of those flanks so okay. how transparent or how bright the arrow is is how threatening they've been as well um and yeah, as I say, we'll put these on social as well. But the ones that kind of caught my eye in terms of, again, that difference between home and away is um, what, what you deem to be two obvious big teams to discuss, but ones who have had mixed fortunes. And that's Liverpool and Man City. Yeah. Now, if we start with Man City, I know they've only had two games uh, at home. Mm-hmm. of which they've lost one, which was uh, against Leicester, I believe. Uh, and they've won one. Uh, but... Away from home, 
bit. Similarly mixed, but they've done a lot better. So they've won two and uh, drawn two. And I thought if I dig into, I guess, yeah, what they're what they're doing and how much they're using these uh, the flanks and, and what sort of threat levels they have home compared to away. Again, it's they've played four away from home and they've played two at home, but just interesting to have a little dig into it. Yeah, yeah. And at home, um, they've used... And again, we'll put these we'll put these on social, so don't need to worry too much about the numbers. But they've they seem to be using the left and the right flank to at an equal rate. So thirty five percent on the left, thirty seven on the right. But that brightness that I spoke about in terms of their threat levels is really bright on the right hand side and com- like completely transparent on the left hand side. So I guess that's where you'd expect sterling to be typically on yeah, yeah. on the left hand side but their threat levels at home on the on the left are next to non-existent which i thought was was quite interesting and why do you reckon that is i don't know i mean they were they i mean leicester did a job on them really didn't they so i think that sort of probably heavily skews it that leicester just soaked up their pressure and they didn't really threaten too much and then you know they didn't have the opportunity to have too much threat because leicester went and caught them on the break and <laughs> scored five which is still yeah yeah crazy in terms of the numbers but uh yeah i think that's obviously got a part to play in it again we're talking ridiculously small numbers but just want to compare it with their away use of the flanks and similarly they they use it pretty evenly there's a bit more skewed towards the left uh for their away form um and they seem to have a similar level of threat from both sides when they're away so it was just seemed to to just strike strike a chord with me that yeah. they just had absolutely no threat on the left uh, in home games but you know the more that you can be a threat from from all angles and all sides which City usually are then the more likely you are to, to win the game and obviously they're doing fairly well away from home I know they they've they've had a couple of draws but they've they seem to have a bit more equal threat coming from the either flanks um, away from home compared to home that's very interesting it's almost like hard to put your finger on isn't it but sort of quite an interesting observation yeah and i guess for for any of the listeners if they want to suppose as to why that might be if you're listening pep to... uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> specifically geared towards pep i mean pep's like probably not the right person to ask is he because he can never decide on a left back anyway they've had you know too many people playing in that position can't no one can nail it down can they uh in recent years true and that's a good point that i think it was Mendy who played on uh, left back um, against Leicester and I think he had a bit of a shocker as well so that's probably uh, again goes goes to why they, they lacked threat on the left hand side uh, in the home games but yeah the other one was Liverpool and they've still got their 100% record at home they've won all four of their games drop home, that but, one in there my friend yeah but you know that I'm not too well that Villa game it still haunts me oh but, let's not uh, talk about that They've they've won, drawn, and lost in the three games that they've played uh, away from home. So a bit of a a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, away from home. So they're another one which is kind of contrasting fortunes. And again, yeah, I looked at their their flank attacks. Um, and focusing at, at home first of all, they seem to, as you would expect, have uh, you know, they've, Liverpool again come at both angles, don't they, with Mane and Salah? But they've. They're forty-one percent on the right-hand side, which is obviously Salah's side, and thirty-four mm. percent on the left. And they, in terms of those transparency of the arrows, in terms of that danger, they seem to be kind of similar in their their threat levels, which again you'd expect, you know, at home and away. It seems to be skewed more towards the left-hand side, which I think is quite right. interesting because in the game that they lost. To, to Villa Sadio Mane wasn't playing of course he was yes um, was it, that he was, was, when he he got was isolating wasn't he? he yeah he was isolating yeah so 
so it's yeah weirdly it seems to be more towards the left hand side but it again just seems to be a bit of a difference in how much they're using the the flanks away from home compared to at home they 45 percent on the left hand side away from home and and 32 percent on the right hand side so i'm surprised that they're not utilizing salah as much on the the right hand side i'm sure they are still channeling it through Salah yeah, maybe yeah. came a bit more central um but yeah, it just seems to be, again, a bit contrasting there. And it's just always interesting to use these visualizations just to get an idea as to how much they are, yeah, using the different thirds kind of going vertically um, across the pitch and seeing whether that is actually influencing how much how much threat they, they are having at home and away. Absolutely. I feel like flank attacks would be a really good help for all the FPL conundrums that people have, whether to choose Salah or Mane or robertson or trent i mean at the moment don't pick trent because i promise you that won't go very well for your fbl team um but yeah no that's that's quite an interesting one that good point actually and when you say about that you know i was talking just about salah and mané but you make a good point that it's obviously channeling a lot of liverpool's attack especially yeah comes yeah. from the the fullbacks as well so maybe maybe it is a case of either of them coming inside and then yeah that threat so that left hand side being more andy robertson than, than actually Sadio Mane because he obviously comes and tucks inside and then Robertson gets the gets the wit. So it's a good point. But yeah, you can always use these sorts of visualizations to tell to tell decent narratives and good stories with data, but also give you good insight. You have outdone yourself, my friend. You have outdone yourself. And as I say, it's a they are by definition a visualization. So we'll also make sure that the listeners have a visualization as well. So we'll put it out on Twitter uh, and Instagram for both of those as well. Beautiful. Brilliant, Mark. Thank you so much. Um, now, I know I brought it up, but I don't really want to talk about fantasy football this week because I stupidly missed the deadline last night and I have no idea what's going to happen with my fantasy team this week. I'm exactly the same, mate. I I mean, you got to just keep a tab on, on all the games that are going on now. need to set an alarm. I know, but for, obviously for television, they've, they're stragging them out so much. And I didn't realise that there was a 5.30 kickoff last night. So, yeah, no, I've done the same. And we do the uh, the FPL draft as well. So I've, I've double messed up. Double so, messed up. But then up. the times when I don't tweak is the times when I actually tend to do quite well. So here's to hoping. That's, you know what I mean? Sometimes when you start to meddle, you, you actually end up taking out a player who goes and scores a hat-trick or something. 100%. You're still in the top half of the Fanalytics pod league and you are also the front runner in our personal mates league. I am genuinely either bottom or within the bottom 10% of every single league I'm in. Um, So I think I might stop now, but if anyone wants to sort of sack me and take over the running of Bailey never losing, what stupid name that ended up being... um, Please do. Please write in. Please. I'll take any volunteers. I feel like I'm going to lose my job before I'm going to solve showers, which is quite sad. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But I keep saying it. We're so early on in the season in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, you keep it's saying so that, mate. More. You keep saying that, but then it's not getting any better. I've wildcarded once. I've brought this in who I thing. thought was playing well, and it's not happening. This is the thing. I think when you start chasing is when you start actually meddling a little bit too yeah, much. Yeah, I'm floundering. Absolute Ned Flounders down here. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, with that brilliant pun, um, <laughs> that's all from us this week. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. We'd love to hear from you, as always. Please do get in touch with us. We're on fanalytics.pod at gmail.com, or you can also contact us on social media 
uh, on Twitter and Instagram. We are Fanalytics Pod. We have a very exciting episode next week, which we haven't actually said much about today. I can't stress quite how excited we are. We're going to sort of keep it quiet until it happens. But um, please do make sure that if you are listening right now, you remind yourself to listen to the next episode. We promise you it will be a good one. In the meantime, happy lockdown in your homes. Please get in touch with us. And thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.